I chose in my quick overview at the start of the week, thinking I might have more time later in the week, these verses 13 to 17. Mark writes, Later they sent some of the Pharisees and Herodians to Jesus to catch him in his words. They came to him and said, Teacher, we know you're a man of integrity. You aren't swayed by men because you pay no attention to who they are. But you teach the way of God in accordance with the truth. Is it right to pay taxes to Caesar or not? Should we pay or shouldn't we? But Jesus knew their hypocrisy. Why are you trying to trap me? He asked. Bring me a denarius and let me look at it. They brought the coin and he asked them, Whose portrait is this? And whose inscription? Caesar's, they replied. Then Jesus said to them, Give to Caesar what is Caesar's, and to God what is God's. And they were amazed at him. I have really enjoyed Mark. I'm going to enjoy, as I said probably last week, getting near the end of it and looking at something afresh. But as every week I've come to some of the texts, as we have been moving along on this long journey, every week I almost say to myself, that would make a great movie scene. And probably, actually, it's got me thinking that maybe come the autumn time or into next spring, we might look at movies about Jesus. Different ones, ones that maybe we agree with and disagree with, maybe a few Sunday nights, just seeing what the movie world have made of Jesus and maybe getting ourselves a chance to maybe see some of these scenes um, on the screen lived out for us. This is another amazing moment as Jesus has moved, as we keep saying, from the fringes right into the heart of it. He has his eyes fixed in Jerusalem. The tensions are getting more and more. I have a word I use called a vortex, and um, I use it quite a lot, and so this week I've tried to find out what it meant, um, which is always good if you use the word quite a lot, and I think it does. We're, we're getting into a whirlpool. We're getting into this tension of Jesus and the authorities, And of course, it's Jesus and the authorities that ultimately put Jesus on the cross that we will gather around in the Lord's table a little bit later on. And these are incredible tensions of power, of who has authority, of who is speaking for God, of nationalism or not nationalism. And here we get to an interesting point where actually in verse 13, we find something fascinating happening. Later, they sent some of the Pharisees and the Herodians to Jesus. Now, if we just read the text, ah, some Pharisees and some Herodians. Well, these guys didn't get on at all. This would be, I suppose, getting to Stormont and saying, here, let's send some of uh, the PUP and Sinn Féin to this guy and uh, see if we can't get some answers out of him. The, The Herodians, they were Herod's boys, And they were linked very closely with Rome and they were doing all kinds of uh, deals with Rome to keep themselves all right. And they were probably making a good wee bit of money out of that and making themselves certainly middle class, if not upper middle class Jews in that. And the Pharisees, they had nothing to do with Rome. In fact, they want separatism. They don't want to link at all. And suddenly they're coming together because religion, economics, power, authority, politics are all wrapped up in what this Jesus has come to shake the foundations of. 
He didn't just come to deal with some spiritual issues within the lives of individuals. It's obvious when he gets to the center of power that every authority under heaven, which Paul talks about so much in the letters that he writes, and we can look at that if we want in Ephesians. Who knows, that might be where we go next. But in Ephesians chapter 1, we find that he is over all dominion and authority. And this Jesus has come not to be the most important person in spiritual, religious, or Christian history. This is the most important figure in world history and every aspect of that. And so all the powers are getting together, and they're saying we all need to get rid of him. And they come to Jesus, and they ask this question that really will be the question that'll finish him. Because whatever he answers to this question, it's over and out. Are we going to pay taxes to Caesar? Well, the people that surround Jesus were wanting to break free and they saw him as a messianic figure who was going to fight for freedom against Caesar and the Romans. So he would lose all his power with the popular people if he said we should pay their taxes to Caesar. On the other hand, on the other hand, we have the Romans all around the place being aware that this was the guy who turned up a few tables in the temple that we looked at, and they're saying, well, is he going to be loyal to Caesar, or is he going to cause an insurrection among the people? And they're listening, and they're thinking, if Jesus says no, revolt against it, then the Romans are going to come down. So there's really, it seems, no way out. But Jesus changes it back. It's like a tennis match, and who were the finalists in that woman's French Open yesterday? Where did they come from? Who was the last Italian that won the French Open? Anyway, um, it's just sorry I broke into sport there, and you really don't want me to break into sport on a communion Sunday, or you wouldn't be home to dear knows when. But uh, anyway, he, he just hits it back across because he says something really interesting again if we look closely at it. He doesn't bring a coin out of his own pocket or however they carried coins. He said, um, somebody bring me a coin. So who was it? Was it a Pharisee or was it a Herodian? They bring this coin to Jesus, a coin that Jesus then asks, well, what's, who's on this coin when you pay your taxes? What sort of coin do you use when you pay your taxes? And so they answer him because the question's now back in their court. They're now beginning to feel a wee bit squeamish under this kind of tension and pressure of the vortex of the situation. Oh, I love that word. And he, they say, Caesar. And what's the inscription? Well, the inscription's interesting because the inscription on one side of the coin would have been that this is Caesar, son of the divine. And on the other side of the coin, he would have been seen as a chief priest. So the Jewish people would really have been saying, well, this is something that's almost, you know, idolatrous. They wouldn't have wanted to have even touched some people say in the commentaries this particular coin but Jesus looks at this and says so this is a coin who's on it whose image is on it and then he says to them okay they say Caesar's and he says okay give to Caesar what is Caesar's and to God what is God's now it's at that point that the commentators began to not help me as much as I would have liked later in the week Because many of them have very different ways to read this particular thing. And some would say that Jesus was saying, 
that because he didn't have any of these coins, that he wasn't paying the tax, and that he didn't say that you should pay the tax. So he was abstaining from that. Some say, and this becomes a more, much later than, um, certainly the early church didn't believe this. Some would have said this, well, there's a separation then. We deal with this in this manner and God in this manner and you never bring the two things together. I think Jesus is the two things very much together in the text here. Because my thinking on it as I've come to try and work out where we go from this text to this table is this. He said that anything that had an image on it was basically owned by what the image was. Your money in your pocket, the coins in your pocket. Um, the notes in your pocket, if you're so lucky to have any, um, they're not owned by you because if they rip, you don't fix it. Well, you do fix it, but you don't replace it. The government replaces it. The government's property. They just give it to us as ways that we can pass our wealth. The coins themselves are only a token of that. So the image on the coin was Caesar's because that was an image of Roman rule. That was an image of whatever. The image. So if you have to pay your taxes, I guess they might have said, do that. There's a sort of a, another thing that comes through in some of the countries, that, or some of the countries that, in First Maccabees, which is uh, something that the, the Jews might have been reading around that time. There's actually, let me see if I can just pick it up perfectly for you. Um, they, they said in, there's a passage in First Maccabees that, that says, um, pay the one, no, no, that's not right. It's uh, um, pay, pay to the, let me see, I'm not going to get it, to be quite honest with you. Um, it's uh, something like pay to the pay the t- forget the notes um, it was pay the taxes pay them back to what they deserve but keep the commands of God pay them back what they deserve but keep the commands of God and some commentators would be saying that what this is therefore saying is have you benefited from Caesar if you're benefiting from Caesar if you're in collusion with Caesar and that that's benefiting who you are and what your status is, you see the point, he's throwing it back at the Herodians particularly here, then pay to Caesar what is Caesar's. But give to God what is God's reminds us of what? What's the indelible imprint and mark of the image on us? We are made in the image of God. So the coins of the image of Caesar... Pay back what you've taken from Caesar. The tax is almost, you've got this from him, pay this back as a mark. But give to God what is God's sends it into a whole new realm. So almost we could say if we were putting it into the 20th century and we're not going to 21st century, we're not saying you shouldn't pay your taxes if you're a Christian or anything else out of this. But what we could say is, what we could say is, with your money. Use it in accordance with what you're getting out of it. If the mall is where you're getting your sense of identity and power and prestige, then go and spend all your money at the mall. If the wealth that you have gathered around you is where you feel this morning that you're finding your sense of identity, 
Then spend it all on that. But give to God what is God's challenges that at the very basis of our existence. Were the Herodians claiming to be the Jewish leaders? And the Pharisees claiming to be whiter than white, giving everything to their God? Or were they compromised in that here was another place they could find what it would be to make them human? And so I think as we pay our taxes, as we use our finances, as we spend our time, that what we have in this phrase of Jesus is an overriding answer to the other one. First and foremost, give to God what is God's. And after that, then we can start thinking about how we use coinage to get the things that we still need. Need. Maybe not want or wish or desire because we start with our identity and our power and our authority and our allegiance not first and foremost to the face on the coin but to the image within our hearts and souls because we are made in the image of God. So as we come to the Lord's table, we've had new members' classes. We're going to ask those of you who've come through adjunction certificates, the words you learn when you move from chaplain's end to parish life, or those who've come through our recent new members' classes to come forward in a moment or two, and they're going to become members of our congregation. But all of us are going to come to this table. And as we come to this table, we need to ask ourselves, Are we going to give to God not only what he put in his image within us as human beings, but what he bought at a price in the hours and the days after this confrontation with the leaders? And is everything else that we do this week in the shadow? under the umbrella of what we're going to commit ourselves to in this bread and this wine. We were saying at the new members' classes um, that sometimes there's two things that happen at communion. Um, In the country, not here, but in the country, everybody comes out for communion. John Dixon, my boss in First Antrim, said one morning, he did, honestly, as the church was twice as full as it normally was for communion, he looked out and he said, hmm, you're a bit like the Loch Ness Monster. I don't see you very often, and when I do, you're a real mystery to me. And it was that mark of the people who really hadn't committed their lives very much at all to God who thought that twice a year on the country's communion Sunday, they needed to sign the wee token 
and that that would somehow justify them. The other side of it, of course, is that we never feel worthy enough to come. And I've been with people and they go, oh, I just don't know whether I'm worthy enough to come for... The reason we can come is because Jesus has died because we're not worthy. Doesn't mean we come frivolously. But it does mean that we can come in his grace, into his presence, boldly and with confidence, and to give to him in these elements this morning. What is his? So give to all those other people who give you something in life what they're owed. But give to God what is God's. Let's pray. Lord, you made us in your image. In Genesis, it tells us that everything else in the world looked good to you when you made it. But when you made humanity, you said, it is very good. We know, Lord, that we're tainted. We've fallen. But we thank you that we still bear your image. And we thank you that as we come to this table in these next moments that you've bought us back at a price. And so as we gather here between the realms of the world and the realms of the spiritual, whatever way we might try to define those and they can get very mixed up and error on all kinds of sides of it, that we would give back to you at this table what is yours. Lay ourselves before you. And that all the other decisions we make this week might come from that first commitment. We ask it in your name. Amen.